You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I'm not often lost for words, people say, but uh, today I'm lost for words. But someone who's never lost for words is Peter Schiff from Euro-Pacific Capital, speaking to me now from the United States of America, which is a country that is threatening, potentially going into lockdown, Peter. Is your life being affected by the latest measures that are either in place or impending? Well, I think everybody's is. I mean, our kids are home from school. My kids in Puerto Rico, the school's closed. My son in Connecticut, the school's closed indefinitely. Uh, we have a mandatory curfew here in Puerto Rico from 9 to 5. No one's allowed outside. They've ordered the shutdown of all non-essential businesses. Uh, so basically, commerce is grinding to a halt. And I guess not just uh, here in Puerto Rico, but all over the U.S., all over the world. And I recognize that there is a health issue with the coronavirus, uh, but the economic issue that we are creating for ourselves is probably going to be far worse uh, than the coronavirus. And, you know, the, the, the worst of all is going to be the hyperinflation that the Federal Reserve and other global central banks are unleashing on the world. So they're going to turn a health crisis into something much more than just a financial crisis like we had in 2008, but a complete economic crisis where the whole economy melts down, production stops, goods are in short supply, as central bankers are flooding the world with money and politicians are flooding it with debt. Uh, and so the money collapses. And so what good is it if politicians try to make you whole by handing money to you if there's absolutely nothing you could buy with all that money? It's very interesting because Mr. Trump, the president of the United States, for a while anyway, not for much longer, hopefully, but he is still the president for a while. He says, we've got tremendous control over the virus and it's not a financial crisis. Of course, it isn't a financial crisis when it first starts, but it's becoming a financial crisis. And the Fed, unfortunately, has perpetuated that potential, don't you think? I mean, I couldn't believe what I saw last night. Well, of course, first of all, they didn't know the financial crisis was the financial crisis in 08 until it was too late. You know, you're always going to have a financial crisis when you have a, a debt bubble. I mean, the, the, the 2008 crisis was about real estate prices falling. Right? But what made it a financial crisis was that when the borrowers defaulted, the lenders uh, lost money. And, of course, those were the banks. And so there was a lot of debt. And so that financial crisis... I uh, had the potential of spilling over into the broader economy, which is something that they tried to prevent by printing a lot of money and bailing everybody out. But this is so much worse. This is starting out much worse than the financial crisis in that it's a complete shutdown of the economy, commerce, production. But the problem is everybody is even more levered up now than they were in 2008. So the disruptions to the economy by houses losing some market value pales in comparison to what's happening now, you know, to the complete shuttering of entire industries and supply chains and commerce. I mean, this, this is on an order of magnitude much greater. And obviously, all these businesses that are shutting down have debts. All these people who are being sent home and who aren't working have debt. Wait, we have so much more debt now. So this is a much bigger financial crisis than the one that we had in 2008. But the underlying economy is in far worse shape. So the Great Recession that we had in, in following 2008 is going to be so much greater. This is going to be a depression. But what's going to make this depression so much worse is the complete destruction of the monetary system. Because, you know, what our leaders should be doing is, is letting people know that we're going to have to sacrifice. 
you know, the, the politicians in the U.S. keep saying that, you know, we have to treat this like World War II, except they're not. In World War II, the politicians leveled with the American public and told them how expensive fighting the war was going to be. We had massive tax increases on the middle class. You know, uh, in 1941, only 3% of Americans paid income taxes. By 1942, 30% of Americans paid income taxes. But not only did the U.S. government massively tax the middle class, but they borrowed billions, trillions in today's dollars from the middle class. The middle class was loaning money to the government. And while they were doing that, commerce collapsed. Nobody was buying cars. Nobody was traveling. Nobody was taking vacations. Nobody was buying appliances. Nobody was going out to bars. Nobody was out there going. We sent 16 million men to Europe and Japan. I mean, women had to come out of the home and go into the factories. Nobody was providing them with daycare. Nobody got made whole during World War II. Everybody uh, pitched in together and, 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 and made the sacrifices necessary to win that war. What politicians are saying now is, oh, nobody has to worry. Nobody is going to lose anything. You don't have to go to work. You can stay at home for nine months or for three months with your kids, and the government's just going to send you money. Where is that money going to come from? They're going to create out of thin air. And what are you people going to buy with the money? There's going to be nothing to buy. Right now, products are disappearing from the shelves. The crazy thing is you had Stephen Mnuchin, Secretary of the Treasury, was on television yesterday telling us that the economy was not going to have a recession and that there were some industries that were doing great. And he specifically pointed to supermarkets and drugstores. He said they're, they're doing a booming business. Yes, people are lining up to buy toilet paper because they know it's going to run out. I mean, how can anybody be so incompetent as to think, you know, a panic consumers rushing to hoard on to staples and supplies? That's a sign of an economic boom. What's going to happen when those supplies are gone? You know, these idiots on CNBC were talking this morning about what's going to happen, you know, when FedEx decides to stop delivering because, you know, they, they want a social distance. What they should be wondering is what's going to happen when FedEx has nothing to deliver. When, if people aren't working, if factories aren't producing, what do we got? I mean, printing money does nothing. I know. The whole printing money thing is laughable because as somebody said, I mean, put the money into finding a cure for, for the virus. But what I don't understand, we, we can talk about this all day and I'd, I'd love to, but hyperinflation is one phrase that I've just uh, circled on my little scribble sheet here. What I'd really like to know is your thoughts on something that you are extremely passionate about, and that is the safe haven assets, for example, the gold price. You're a perma gold bull. You've been right for a couple of years now, but... I'm looking at my screen. It's seventy dollars down, or four and a half percent, to fourteen sixty. Is this an opportunity, or is this us getting it wrong? And I include myself there because I'm also a gold bull. Well, first of all, I've been a bull for you know two decades at least. I mean, going back to the Alan Greenspan days that inflated the Nasdaq bubble. But if you look back uh, at where gold was twenty years ago when this century began in the year two thousand, and you compare it to stocks. Gold has outperformed every stock market in the world, including the U.S. So we haven't gotten it wrong. And in fact, if you look at the decline in the price of gold today, even though it's down 4%, global stocks are down 10, 15%. So in terms of uh, gold, you know, stock prices are falling. Gold is rising. Look at silver. Silver is at the, the lowest it's ever been. Silver is down over 20% today. You know, so, I mean, it's never been this cheap. You've never been able to buy this much silver with an ounce of gold in the history of recorded 
um, mankind. And the same is happening with other industrial commodities. Look at the price of oil. Look how many barrels of oil you can buy with one ounce of gold. So we're not wrong. But the question you should be asking is why is gold not up $100 today? Why is it not up $500 today? Right? That's the question. And the answer to that, I think, is, is twofold. I mean, one, I think some of the selling in gold is simply, I, got, I need money. I mean, so I don't think people are, are making a decision that, oh, I think it's a good thing to sell my gold. I, I have to sell my gold because I need money. I got a margin call. I got to get ready for margin calls. I need to get liquid. Uh, and so what, what can I sell to get liquid? And so in that respect, you have people who are just dumping their gold. Now, the question is, why are there not more buyers you know, smart enough to buy up this gold, right? Why, why don't they do that? And that's the, the second point, is that I think that most people around the world that control, you know, the big money are as clueless as the central bankers. I mean, they have no idea what they're doing, right? They have no idea how much damage their monetary and the fiscal policies are going to do to the global economy and to the value of, of fiat currencies. I mean, if they did they would be buying all the gold they can get their hands on. But they don't. And I think part of the complacency uh, has to do with the 08 financial crisis because the Fed did this in 2008. They printed a bunch of money, slashed interest rates, and there was some fear initially that, oh, this is bad, this is inflation, hyperinflation, and that didn't materialize. And, and I think the main reason that the monetary policy in 08 looks like it succeeded is because it reflated a bubble and people confuse that with success. But also that success was predicated on the false belief at the time that the Fed's policy was temporary. It was an emergency policy that they weren't really monetizing debt. They were temporarily buying treasuries, that the balance sheet was going to be returned to normal and shrunk back down to its pre-crisis size, that the 0% interest rates was just a temporary emergency measure, that rates would be normalized when the emergency was over. And the markets bought that. I didn't buy it. I knew it was BS, but the markets believed it. Well, this time, I don't think anybody is going to believe that. I think that when we're finished printing all this money, right, when, when interest rates are back at zero and the debt explodes, I mean, the national debt in the U.S. right now is like $24 trillion. In a few years, it'll be 30 or $40 trillion. I mean, maybe $50 trillion. The Fed's balance sheet is going to explode past $10 trillion in the next two or three years, if not sooner. And people are going to realize, hey, wait a minute, if they couldn't shrink a $4.5 trillion balance sheet, what chance do they have of shrinking a $10 trillion balance sheet? If the Fed couldn't get interest rates above zero when the national debt was $24 trillion, how are they going to do it when it's $40 trillion or $50 trillion? Uh, and, and so people are then going to realize that money is going to be printed indefinitely. And at the same time right, that we are flooding the world with money, the supply of goods is diminishing. We actually have a supply shock here. You know, this didn't happen in 2008. People didn't stop going to work. Factories didn't shut down. That's happening now. So the Fed is printing all this money, and what are people going to do with it? What are they going to buy with it? And, you know, back then, a lot of that money went into the financial markets. I don't think it's going to go into the financial markets this time. It's going to go to the grocery store, not the, the, grocery, you know, the supermarket, not the stock market. Problem is the shelves are going to be empty. 
So we're going to get the hyperinflation probably that we could have gotten uh, the first time had people understood it. But I think back then we had a better chance of stopping it. You know, we had a better chance of slamming on the brakes, you know, jacking up interest rates, letting asset prices collapse, uh, letting economies go into recession, letting investors lose money. It would have been painful, but it would have been doable. I don't even think it's doable anymore because the pain is so excruciating that I just think that nobody is willing to deal with it. Uh, and so these central bankers are just printing, printing. Now, I think at some point there will be some central banks that are going to say, okay, we can't make our currency be worthless. Right? We can't completely destroy the entire monetary system. We're going to have to raise interest rates. We're going to have to let interest rates go up. Right? We're going to have to fight inflation. But there are some countries that have so much debt that fighting inflation is impossible. <laughs> so, uh, so they're going to, they're, you know, they're just going to allow the currency to die instead of trying to kill inflation. What worries me, I'm trying to take in everything you've just said, uh, but Peter, what worries me is that 1987, I was cutting my teeth on a desk in London and I had lots of fun. I was one of the few people on that desk that day because of a storm, which meant that people couldn't come into work. So I, I manned a 20-man desk on my own. It was a lot of fun. And then it was over. The thing I worry about with this particular crisis that has now been unfolding for three and a half weeks and a few months before that, but we didn't even know about it, is that I don't know when it's going to end. I'm looking at the, you know about South Africa, and you've been very vociferous in your critique of South Africa in the past. I've got the all share index of the JSE, the JSE Securities Exchange, Johannesburg Stock Exchange, down 12%, the resources index down 12%, the industrial index down 11%, the financial index down 14%, the gold index down 19.2%. And that is being replicated across the globe, Europe, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11% down, depending on which country you look at. When is this going to normalize? I don't see it in weeks or months, maybe just in a couple of years time. What do you think? Well, I don't think it's going to take that long, because I think the supply of goods is going to run out pretty quickly. And the supply of money is about to explode through the roof. So I don't actually think it's going to take that long. I mean, we're going to see this collapse, and then we're going to see the currencies collapse. And then, you know, you're, as I said, you're going to see gold prices moving up in hundred dollar. You know, maybe we'll see a thousand point move up. You know, we see the Dow going down a thousand points in a day. Maybe we'll see gold going up a thousand dollars in a day. I mean, it, when it changes, it's going to change very, very quickly. You know, there, and so I, I, I don't really know, you know, how to exactly time it because nothing that's happening with the price of gold really makes sense uh, if anybody understood what was going on, right? The central banks are, are printing all this money, and, and they've got rates at zero, and, 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 and budget deficits around the world are exploding. Um, but I think this is basically the end of this entire global you know, monetary system, fiat monetary system. I mean, I never knew that the coronavirus was going to be it. <laughs> that was going to be the pin that pricks this massive bubble. But, you know, if it wasn't the coronavirus, it would have been something else. I mean, you know, it was only a question of, of, of which pin the bubble found. But this, you know, this is way worse than 1987. I mean, 1987, I mean, the U.S. stock market crashed in 87 um, because it was overvalued and due for a crash. There were problems in the U.S. economy in the 80s with rising budget deficits and rising trade deficits. As a result of that, interest rates were rising. I mean, bond yields were up to 9% and rising. Uh, and people were worried about the falling dollar, which was at an all-time record low. So there were some real concerns 
uh, that finally manifest in the stock market. Because the bond market had been falling for a while, the dollar had been falling for a while, and the stock market had kind of been oblivious to those problems. Well, once the stock market crashed, it actually helped alleviate those problems because then the dollar actually started to rise, our trade deficits started to shrink, uh, and uh, kind of the, the, the problem was diffused for a while, and the bull market resumed. I mean, 1987, you know, even though it was a 20% drop, you know, intraday, you know, it really looked just like a, a sharp correction in an ongoing bear market that really started in 1981-82 exactly. and, and continued really until 2000. And then we finally got uh, a decent bear market from 2000 to really 2009, 10-ish. So we had, you know, like a decade-long bear market. And then we had the biggest bull market ever that just ended, uh, what, last week or whatever that was. But that bull market was fueled by the most reckless monetary and fiscal policy the world had ever seen. Uh, so this bull market, which was simply a bubble, is the biggest bubble ever. And this thing has popped. So uh, that's it. There's no reflating this. I mean, that's what I've been saying since the beginning, that, you know, the Fed created the, the dot-com bubble, and that popped, and they created a housing bubble, and that popped, and they created this bubble, the bubble and everything that just popped. But the bubble that just popped was so big that there is no encore. They can't follow it up with a bigger bubble to kick the can down the road. I remember so, when you were on CNBC and people were poo-pooing you, <laughs> 2006, I think it was, and you were saying this, this, and this, and they laughed at you. I've said this a lot of times. I'd love you to go on CNBC again and talk to them. They won't have me on anymore. They banned me a few years ago. So uh, now, I do Fox Business a little bit. I'm on Fox Business later today. In fact, I put out a little YouTube video last night of an appearance I had on Fox Business last year when the Fed initially cut rates to uh, two and a quarter, two and a half, and I said, this is not the, I said, this is nothing. I said, they're going all the way to zero. And then after they get to zero, they're going back to QE. And they were like, well, what are you talking about? Is that your, how can that be? No one's predicting that. So it's like a 40 second video, but I put it up last night. But none of this is surprising. Now there, again, there are a lot of people who are going to think, well, the only reason that they're back at zero and doing QE is because of the coronavirus. No, the coronavirus is the pin. The problem is the bubble. Don't get confused by, by the pin. You have to understand the bubble that the pin pricked, because if it wasn't this pin, it was another pin. And if we were financially sound, if we really had a solid economy instead of a debt bubble, then the, the financial the, the coronavirus wouldn't be that bad. I mean, we can afford to shut down the economy for a month, right? If everybody had savings, if everybody wasn't so levered up, right, if households had savings like they did during World War II, Right? They could pay their rent. They could pay their mortgage while they're not working for a month. You know, people, pe people could cover that. If businesses were not so levered up, they can meet their expenses you know, during an emergency. The problem is it didn't matter what the emergency was. We weren't prepared for anything. And whose fault is that? Is that the fault of the coronavirus? No. Why are we all so levered up? Why are we all so ill-prepared? Because we kept making the mistake of kicking the can down the road, not wanting to deal with the problem because of the pain of doing it. And so we got used to postponing the pain by taking on more debt and more debt and more debt. And now we're going to have to reap what we sowed, right? This is going to be excruciating pain because we didn't deal with it when we should have. The other thing I'd like to say is, and we can't speak about this now because it's a whole new podcast that we have to do. Uh, I think that the social fabric 
of society will change because of what's <clears> happening now. People will work from home and then they'll say, well, maybe I'll continue to work from home. The whole way that we go about our lives will, will change. And also politically things will change. Do you think this will bring about the demise of Mr. Trump's absurd administration? Well, I've been saying for a long time that Trump was going to be a one-termer. People used to compare him to Reagan. I said he was more like Jimmy Carter. He was going to inherit a problem, and it was going to get much worse. And that's exactly what happened. So Trump is out. I mean, I guess, I mean, I think we dodged a bullet in that um, Sanders is not going to be the next president. It's going to be Joe <laughs> Biden. Yeah. And so Joe Biden is not as bad as Sanders. But he's, you know, he's not, you know, a great guy. I mean, he's he's a lot more liberal than people think because they're just comparing him to Sanders, and he looks moderate next to Sanders. But then anybody would look moderate next to Sanders. Uh, so, uh, and, and but the thing is, the left wing, the socialist wing of the American Democratic Party is much larger now, thanks to Sanders, and it's going to have a lot of influence on the policy direction of the United States. And we did a lot of damage with the financial bailouts because. Since we were able to bail out the banks, you know, everybody's like, well, why can't we bail out Main Street? We bailed out Wall Street. Everybody is of the impression that it doesn't matter how much money we print, right? That, well, you know, deficits don't matter. The Republicans didn't care about deficits when they were spending on the military or giving tax cuts to their rich buddies. So why should we care about deficits when we're giving people money to pay their rent and giving people money for college or whatever it is they're going to give us free money for? And, and so there's going to be no opposition. And we're going to destroy the currency of hyperinflation. You know, what's going to happen is government in the United States, we'll see around the world, but we're going to implement price controls. And so uh, businesses are going to be, it's going to be illegal to charge too much for prices, you know, price gouging. As a result, uh, goods, goods are going to disappear from the shelves. There's going to be a black market. If you want to buy something, you're going to have to buy it illegally. And what will the black market currency be? It'll probably be silver coins or gold or something like that. Uh, but that's what's going to happen, and there's going to be a lot of barter in the United States. But, I mean, and, and, and this is going to be, I mean, far worse, I think, than the Great Depression. But the scary thing politically is that I do believe that it will be capitalism that is going to be blamed. I mean, because the, the tide of socialism is building and building. That is the momentum that we see. And so all of these problems are going to be blamed on the free market on a lack of regulation, on too much greed, right? And, and so who knows? I mean, we may end up going, you know, full turkey in the United States. The U.S. government may start nationalizing. I mean, you know, we could have army, uh, you know, patrolling the streets. And, I mean, this, this civil unrest, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. And uh, it's very scary. It is very scary. How's Puerto Rico? Well, I mean, you know, Puerto Rico, the one good thing about Puerto Rico is things have been here for so long that – you know, people are used to bad times in Puerto Rico, so it might not be as big a deal for them. I mean, they, they're, 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 you know, we, they live through Hurricane uh, Maria, so they're kind of hardened, right, to this. I mean, they, they, they've seen uh, bad times before, but, uh, I mean, a lot of people in the U.S. have not. I mean, this is going to be very, very bad. I think I'm better off here than in my house in Fairfield, Connecticut, you know, where I'm not too far from some very, very poor communities uh, in uh, Bridgeport and New Haven and Hartford. And there, there are a lot of people. We've, we have developed a society of people who feel entitled to things. And we have a lot of people that just live off of welfare and, and, and government money. And that money is going to keep coming. But the problem is it won't buy anything. And when you get a lot of people in the inner cities that are hungry and in the dark, because that's another thing that's going to happen, is the, the, the power is going to be gone. Right. 
the, the, and so when you have people in, you know, with blackouts and, and, and shortages and, you know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of riots. There's going to be a lot of looting. Um, I mean, it's going to get dangerous. Okay. Lots to, lots to think about. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I don't really see at this point what's going to stop us from going down that route. And, you know, this is an election year in the U.S., so nobody wants to deny the voters anything. So it's just a, an orgy of uh, government spending and who can provide the most free stuff and telling everybody there's nothing to worry about. Right. Instead of leveling with the public and say, yes, we need to worry about this. Your life is going to change. Things are going to get worse. That's you know, that's life. There's nothing we can do about it. You know, you had Cuomo had wrote this letter, uh, an op-ed in the New York Times, basically imploring on Donald Trump to bail out New York and all the states, saying, hey, we all have to shut down. We all have to close businesses. And so we need to be bailed out. By who? I mean, people think the federal government has this big pot of money. The government doesn't have anything. The government only has the money it takes from the states. You know, well, if the states are broke, the government is broke. I mean, so the idea is that, well, you know, you have a printing press. Right. You can print money and give it to everybody. We don't have our own printing press. Well, a printing press isn't the key, uh, you know, to economic prosperity. I mean, did that work out well in Zimbabwe? Did that work out well in Argentina? If all you had to do is print money when you needed it, then none of those countries would have been dismal failures. They would all be, you know, booming economies. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter that this is America. If we have the monetary policies of Zimbabwe, then that's what we become. We end up with the same outcome. The laws of economics work everywhere. They're not suspended uh, in the United States. Right? They, they apply the same in Zimbabwe or Argentina or the Weimar Republic, Germany. They, repl- they apply the same to America today as they do to, to those countries. That's a very passionate Peter Schiff from Puerto Rico, and he is, of course, from Euro-Pacific Capital. So it's Peter Schiff, passionate Puerto Rico, Euro-Pacific yeah. Capital. Go to Euro-Pacific Capital and have a look. How do, where do you want people to well, go on, on your site? People down in South Africa should go to my website, europacificfunds.com, yeah. if they want to try to invest. Uh, you know, we have a gold stock uh, managed account, and, you know, I mean, look, they're giving these stocks away. These things have collapsed. Uh, you know, gold stocks are trading now at where they were when gold was, I don't know, six, $700 an ounce. You know, even though it's fallen, it's still above 1500 uh, You know, silver stocks are trading for where they were when silver was, what, 5 bucks. I mean, yeah, it's down to 12 13 bucks. But is it really going to stay there? Is gold and silver going to stay this cheap when they're flooding the world with money? I mean, maybe initially people are rushing out to buy food and, and, and medicine. But, you know, how, how long before they start rushing out to buy gold and silver? Good point. We've got lots to reflect upon. I'm going to listen to this again a couple of times later on today. Peter Schiff, good luck in Puerto Rico and uh, good luck in Connecticut when you get back there. And we'll speak in a week's time because this is an unfolding situation. I cannot believe what I'm seeing on my screen, mm-hmm. which I'm not even going to talk about. Peter, thanks so much for your time. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.